Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. Welcome to another installment of Stacking Pennies. A little bit of remote, it's a little, little remote today. I am in Built Bar headquarters in American Fork, Utah, dropping off the first ever NAS couch. Go on Instagram or Facebook to check it out. It's been a lot of fun to work on that. Uh, we just got done setting it up and I had to deliver a podcast. So I cleared the schedule, hopped on here with my buddy, Jonathan Merriman, Rolling Thunder. And you know, you know who else it is, Chuck Bush. How are y'all fellas doing today? No complaints here. Yeah, I'm doing well. Just enjoying a lovely uh, spring day here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Man, it's uh, it's snowing a little bit out here. It's about 30, 35, 36, a balmy, 35, 36 degrees. It's quite nice. Um, you know, I do I do hate it, though, on Zoom uh, because I can't get to look at you right in the eye. Merriman got a uh, Merriman got a haircut. He looks like he looks like uh, John was not not John Belushi. Is it John? John Goodman. John Goodman. I'm sorry. Uh, in in the big Lebowski. I'm nowhere near as successful as John Goodman either. So you literally looked just like him. And I was watching the big Lebowski on the way out here. That Amazing is a great movie. film. You you guys just don't know the burden of being this good looking. I mean, it's 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 real shame. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. It is. I really I guess I I'll just nothing. live with it. Like you just like you teed me up for a really good like insult, and I just I don't have the heart today to. Well, really we're coming off yeah. Easter weekend. Yeah. Chuck's Chuck's a changed man. <laughs> yeah, we had no, one more week. We had no racing. Uh, I'll tell you, we did have a little bit of racing. Uh, what is that new electric series deal that like Nico Rosberg's in? Lewis Hamilton's got a car in there. Uh, did you guys watch it? What's it called? Uh, it's called in the, No yeah. Gas, No Care. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we watched it with the audio off, so it actually sounded the exact same if the cars were uh, if we had the audio <laughs> on or off. Just a bunch of cars who dead going. The production value was pretty good, I will a say. Bit of, like a little bit of like a a whine what? to it. No. And then yeah. you got to come in and change out the double A batteries. <laughs> we race real cars, guys. That's what we're trying to do. And you know who else we have for a guest on the show? A real damn man. Is that's who Ricky Rudd? We had no previous winner this week. Obviously, we had Easter weekend, so why not get the rooster himself to jump on, talk a little bit about Martinsville, talk a little bit about what he's doing? And lo and behold, he was my favorite driver growing up. Anybody asked me who's your favorite driver growing up, your dad? No, it was Ricky Rudd. And he, sure enough, he's on stacking pennies with us. So stick, stand by. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so, but we're gonna do, we're gonna get into a little heads or tails, a little short show. A little short show today for y'all. Not much to talk about. We've got a little Martinsville action coming up. Uh, what do you, I mean? What do you think, Merriman? Is there anything you're looking forward to? Not looking forward to Martinsville this weekend? I mean, I'm not looking forward to not being there and eating 30 hot dogs. But aside from that, uh, yeah, Martinsville's my home track, so I think it's the best racing we have on, on the circuit. So I'm hoping we get a little uh, little hey, don't drama. Say that. Don't say that too loud. They're gonna put dirt on the place here soon. Don't don't hey. say that too loud. Put dirt, on, put dirt on everything. We don't, we don't need dirt on Martinsville. It's already had it. They paved it in 1955. I put dirt it. on my driveway this weekend just because I was that damn pumped oh. about Bristol. Speaking of dirt and the hot takes, we talked about it last week, and Marcus Smith was on the Dale Jr. download and mentioned that North Wilkesboro was, you know, not out of their 
realm of possibility. Right. He also, I think I must have channeled some information to him, uh, you know, telepathically, but he was talking about using the Colossus poles and cable system to put a roof on the place. Yeah. He must have listened to this before it went in there. I mean, I think they were probably did at the same time. You know, I, talk, no, I think he be did. Quiet, Charles. <laughs> I think he did. I think he did listen to it. Now, that would be cool. We're putting the vibes out in the ether. That's it. And he felt it. And then yeah. it came through. Yeah. Um, he talked about a little bit about Atlanta, a little reconfiguration, possibly, wink, wink. Because uh, I, I don't think that they're just going to throw some new asphalt on, on Atlanta and let it go. I think that they're open to anything right now. So uh, talk a little bit about Nashville. That's cool. I did listen to that Dale Jr. download because what I what I like about it is that Marcus and Bruton and SMI, they're invested in the sport just as much as NASCAR is on the other side. So it's cool to have that party doing a lot of cool things. Going to Coda. Hey, did you see that the turtle, the Ninja Turtle made it to Austin, Texas? That thing's getting some mileage, dude. I, I mistakenly, like when I saw the turtle, I was like, I was there when he painted it. And I was like, no, no, I wasn't there. I edited the video when you painted <laughs> so you, that. So you felt like you were there. Yeah, I felt like I was there. <laughs> that dude, and, and they've been actually using that thing up. So that was pretty cool. It's not going to last forever. Somebody's going to wipe that out. No, like, no doubt. Maybe me. I might even wipe it out. Well, I think we should, like after Coda, like once it goes through that, maybe you know they take it up and they they put a coat of shellac on it or something <laughs> to preserve it because it is yeah. a work of art. Huh? Coat of shellac? Yeah, a coat of shellac. shellac. Oh, well, don't you think it needs to be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame? I mean, shouldn't someone save that for when you go in in, in twenty years? I, I I don't really want to uh, to let you down, Merriman. My <laughs> my Hall of Fame career hasn't started off as such. I mean, they. I mean, look, you could build a build a couch for the lobby and they could stick it right next to that that's a damn good i have a better chance of getting a nas couch in the hall of fame than my uh enshrined face that's the thing juncture. you're limiting yourself to like on track performance for getting you in the hall of fame if we've learned anything like you, you impact outside of the confines of the racing circuit can get you in the hall of fame i mean look at dale jr like his wins He's got a lot of weeds. Got wins. He's also Twenty-seven two of championships them. and two Xfinity championship. Yeah, I'm just saying that you know, compared and his to dad's other, Dale Earnhardt, that helps. Compared to other inductees, his resume on track isn't as as uh, stellar, but his off track and what he did for the sport of NASCAR that got him in the Hall of Fame. So you know, you've got a lot of time left. You can uh, make some impact when you there, sell buddy. when you sell as many T-shirts as Dale Earnhardt Jr. You deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I think that was the that was the difference. Like, oh, he sold that many T-shirts. Yeah, we definitely got to put him in. What so, What do you think the ratio is of oh. Dale Jr.'s T-shirt sales to tattoo sales? Like, there are a lot of people with eight and eighty-eight uh, tattoos. Not like, do you it, think it's, it's probably like ten to thousand one? to one thousand, thousand to one. Probably. I mean, that's yeah. still pretty high, dude. The guy sells a ungodly amount of merchandise i think he's still in like the top 12 in merchandise sales speaking of slinging some t-shirts our pit road analyst brian flora is about to join us on the show let's go see what he has to say good morning how's it going oh it's going good what are you doing i did sell out of my last batch t-shirts i made for what i made 100 for the indoor car man what what indoor car what indoor what indoor car you got? Tell the tell the fans. The fastest one in the world. That is true. Uh, There's only like forty we, of them, but there. Yeah, 
no, they race these um, indoor midgets up in the Northeast and uh, being from New Jersey and Pennsylvania area, kind of in the winter when there's no racing going on, they have a couple big races in Allentown, Pennsylvania and Atlantic city, New Jersey, um, New York, that kind of all the top Northeast uh, modified and everybody kind of every discipline of racing runs up there. So I get to go do that. And through the likes of you and Jimmy Blewett and Daniel Ferrier, you've been able to make me look like I know what I'm doing and we've won a bunch of races. So it's good. That is good. And selling a bunch of t-shirts in the process. Yeah. Talking about, we had no pit road boats and woes because we had no races, but we had some woes at the house because your wife and my wife decided to go to Charleston and leave us with the kids. I survived. How did you hold up? I was good. Thank God. You know, I got double the trouble here with Harper and crew and uh, with crew um, with my in-laws living right down the road. I dropped crew off on Friday night because Harper and I went out and actually ran her first BMX race. How'd she do? On, uh, it was pretty funny. She finished last by about a minute. And she was so far behind that when she was crossing the line, everybody was cheering for her to finish because they just wanted to see this little girl finish the race. And she crossed the line and immediately said, I won. Dad, where's my trophy? And I had to uh, explain to her why she wasn't getting a trophy that day. But, uh, but yeah, no, that was oh, good. Too. That's a good learning moment. Good teachable yeah. moment. Yeah, it was a t- we had to sit down on the park bench and we had to talk about if she wanted to get a trophy, what we had to do. And then she chose to go back and we uh, ran a couple practice races and then we went to the playground. So it was fun. But, uh, but yeah, we survived. Speaking of trophies, how is the two car going to be able to get a grandfather clock this weekend? The paperclip. I got a spot cleared out for it. We Where, are, where's it going to go? It's going to go in the garage. I'm making room. It's going right there. You know, I'm not allowed to bring anything in the house anymore, but uh, right. in my little trophy garage there. Um, you know, we I've won there with Tony Stewart uh, back in 2011, winning the championship, and then I've won there with uh, with Joey in the truck. Won a couple of races there, but I've never gotten a clock. And um, this time, if, if, if there's an opportunity to get one when we win, I'm going to get one. And I'm pretty confident. You know, I talked to Coleman Presley today, and he feels like, hell, we can win the next five races, you know, depending on how Talladega goes. But doesn't we everybody? Really, we, well, no. <laughs> no. Um, but we were really strong there last year, and Brad's really good. And depending on what tire they bring um, at the at short track stuff, statement of stuff, being strong. Later in the run, we weren't particularly good there on pit road last year in the fall. And Brad got a speeding penalty and was still able to drive his way up and into the final four. So it was really a pretty big statement by him. I know that he's got a lot of pep in his step being the only Penske driver that hasn't won a race yet with Joey winning last week. And uh, and yeah, we're ready to, to knock off a couple wins, get that bonus fat. There you go. So Martinsville is probably the the – I guess most advantageous of a pit of a pit lane to get a good spot or that first or second box. Uh, where, do you guys know where you, what pit box, pit box you are? Uh, I'm not seeing pit stall selections yet. Yeah. Being that we run um, 11th at Bristol and that we're, you know, top five in points with that metric. It just depends on if we had a fast lap, um, how that fell in the race which I would assume we were always in traffic. So we didn't get a fast lap, but I'm, I'm sure that we'll be in the top 10 but man, this is the toughest pit road that we go to. If you're going to get run over, it's either going to be here or Indy. The only reason Indy's a little bit sketchier is because it's 60 miles an hour. 
Here it's a little bit slower, but it's going to be packed. You know you're going to get a competition caution there because we're not practicing. So you get a competition caution in the first stage. There'll be a lot of cars on pit road, tiny pit boxes, and the curves. So if you pit on the turn, you literally cannot see your car until it's time to jump. So you're allowed to jump, like we said, one box away when that car crosses the back plane of the, the box in, that would be behind you. You're allowed to jump. So you'll see a lot of jump penalties. We saw it with the nine car there last year. Um, homeboy jumped off the wall, had to run back, tag the wall, which is a legal move. That is what you're supposed to do if you feel like you jumped early and then went and, uh, and jacked the right side. And hell, it, it might have won them the championship because if he gets mired back there, he doesn't make it to the final four. So you'll see that happen a lot. You'll see tires um, tend to get away here or flop and slow the stop down. Pit road is actually banked in the corners. And then your pit stall is flat. And since the pit stalls are so small, you'll actually be sitting on the banking. So when you pull the tire right front and you try to set it, it'll cause it to fall over. And then you'll see tires from other teams getting into other people's, uh, the front tire from one car getting in the back of the other guy in front of them. So it, it can really be, depending on where your pit stall is, it could be really be a dogfight. So you look at guys like the five car and the 20 that wrecked last week that are going to have a strong run. You know, they could they could have to deal with, coming around somebody or somebody coming around them all day and really have a challenging situation. So Martinsville brake temp are going to be super high. Rotors going to be somewhere around a thousand to 1100 degrees all day. So are the wheels that much hotter in a place like Martinsville than they would be anywhere else? Yes. So the, the worst place that we would ever go to have hot wheels was um, before we went to a 550 package when it was still open motors, it would be like an Indy or a Pocono when you're really, really hauling the mail and then you try to, you know, then you're slowing down for tighter corners. But now that we go to Martinsville is always tough. Loudon is probably the worst now as far as brake temperature, but you have so much cooling at Martinsville and you have to save your brakes. The big thing that you'll see being a night race, which, um, you know, we're going to, it's, it's going to be, you know, we've gone into that. We've gone into the night there, but now being a true night race and depending on what brake pad selection you have, so we have a couple different brake pads and the pads that Brad seems to like throw a lot of dust. So you get about two tenths of a second from the time the car stops to see your first lug nut. And then you're going off muscle memory till you get there about your fifth. So you can't see shit is what I'm getting at. And um, then you come to the left side and you hit the first lug nut and all the brake dust that's in, caked up in top of the wheel where the caliber is falls in front of you. So you're going off muscle memory quite a bit here and um and it's you, you're gonna have a what i like to call brake dust headache on the way home because uh you breathe that stuff in all day and the head starts pounding on your way back well it pound a hell of a lot less if you were drinking some bush light in victory lane with the grandfather clock in tow and it just hurt the next morning but <laughs> that hey, would hurt the that. next morning and that night before and there you there have is, it what you got there is no better victory lane than front stretch martinsville just to put that out there well, I'm going to be giving her hell, too, so get out of the way. If, if that two's in front of me, it's getting the boot this weekend, dog. Hey, you're I'm leading not, him. I'm not playing around with anybody anymore. I was playing around a little bit. I'm done. Done. You were leading. You were you you were coming to restart there. Hell, you got – They had to black, they had to black flag me. I was I was smoking them so bad they had to put it out. You are going to win that thing. I was going to win if they didn't give me the black flag. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Pit Road Boats and Woes, Ryan Flores. Have a great day.
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, guys, I'm giddy today. I'm broadcasting here in Salt Lake City, but the, you know, I don't love technology, but in some cases, it's awesome because a little race car fan in me Gets to hang out and talk with my idol growing up, Mr. Ricky Rudd. How you doing, sir? Hey, Corey. I'm doing fine. How about you guys today? Oh, uh, we're we're having some fun stacking some pennies. I'm out here uh, in Salt Lake. Uh, we delivered. I put a couch. I don't want to get too much into it. Uh, fans can go see on my Instagram. I put a couch in the right side of a show car and brought it out here to these guys and put it in their lobby. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, it was that that was been a fun trip. I had somebody drive all the way out here and I just flew out here and met him out here, of course. Right. <laughs> well, back in the day, you used to have to drive. So you're lucky now. <laughs> I, I know you didn't have an option. How many times did you dr- drive to Riverside back in the day? Uh, I did it. I did it once there and back. And that was enough for me. As a matter of fact, actually, it was uh, that when I racing out at Ontario Motor Speedway. I mean, it was one of those, you know, like, typical truck drivers. They do it every day. But when we did it. It was nonstop, you know, go brush your teeth at a truck stop, grab a McDonald's burger or something, and nonstop, well, I don't know, 40 hours, whatever it was. I knew enough that uh, I didn't want to do it again. I did come back across country, but that was the last trip. That's a long ride. Now, um, we always usually get the previous winner of every week. Last week, we had Joey Logano after the dirt race. Uh, we've had William Byron. We have a couple other guys. Obviously, we had no racing on Easter weekend, so we were brainstorming on the guys who we wanted to get on the show. And since we're leaving the Martinsville, the most iconic Martinsville pitcher in my mind is you winning that race, flopped out in victory lane with, I believe it's, is it Ned Jarrett trying to get an interview while you're just trying to grasp onto every inch of your life? I was just trying to live at that point, but uh, I think it was either Jerry Punch or, uh, or, or Ned Jarrett. I'm not really sure. I just, uh, I, I remember doing an interview. I remember laying there, laying there. I didn't even think about how uh, silly that would look, but hey, I was just, just happy to be able to, uh, to give him a winner interview. Well, I mean, for sure. And I, I wouldn't know what that feels like just yet. But what what were the conditions that day that made it so damn hot that you flopped out right in victory lane? Well, it was a couple of combinations, really, a couple of things that kicked in. And plus, first of all, it was just a hot September day in, in Martinsville. And I think it's almost like Bristol. It sits down in a bowl a little bit. And you know, with the back grandstands used to be full and just it was just not a lot of air floating in the air. And uh, no oxygen. So I don't know. I would say, it was, I don't know, it was 90, you know, way up in the 90s, uh, high 90s that day, which, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, we've done it before. But what happened is uh, I had the latest, greatest idea on how to build a cool seat at the time. 
And I'd use <laughs> what did that, that, hey, what that consist of? Fill me in. Well, basically, it was, you know, the seats, I, I guess your dad or either Butler built the seats back in those days in aluminum. And basically, I put a double wall panel on it. So the seat had like about a inch of a gap between the inside shell and the outside shell and nothing sophisticated just ran drilled a bunch of holes little eighth inch drill all around the seat and uh ran a hose to an ice chest basically with forced air and it would man that thing was like laying in a cold bathtub a, a cold lake if, uh, when it was working but that particular day they cranked the motors up i turned the switch on it it never worked and the time we start get the switches and uh, we well, gotten so used to that thing that we actually were able to take some weight out of the car. We almost had no insulation in the car at all. And that was a great idea when the seat was working, but it's not too good an idea when the seat wasn't working. And that day, I mean, I got blisters all over my body from that darn seat shell. And 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 a, something else that I had to learn the hard way on a day like that, all you're trying to do, you get, you're just trying to, you're trying to survive. Uh, last year at Martinsville, it was the hottest I've ever been. So I feel your pain. They put right side windows in our cars. And again, to your point, there's everybody's trying to make the cars as light as possible. So you have no insulation and you take a water bottle, right? You can come in the pits and they hand you a water bottle. And all you want to do is dump it on your body because you're so damn hot. Well, if you don't have a hole in the bottom of your seat, it boils your butt. So did you ever have to learn that the hard way? You're probably smarter than I was. No, I learned it the hard way. You should have asked me about it. I could have told you that's that doesn't work. You got it will. It actually will start boiling. That's part of the reason I got my butt blistered up there because the water in the seat was cooking and there was nowhere for that water to go. So it's just sitting there. I mean, you're sitting, your butt is sitting in a bucket of boiling water. And uh, it's it's uh, it's it's not good. If you survived it, then you know what I'm talking about. You won't do it again, I bet. Hell no. I have <laughs> seats drilled in the bottom of my seat just for that reason alone. <laughs> Because I tell you what, it feels good as it hits your neck and the lower it goes. And when it sits in there, you are in a world of hurt. So I'm glad Ricky Rudd and I can share some some hey, uh, experience in the car. Funny story that day, Corey, that insult to injury that day. You asked what some of the circumstances were. You know, you lay a you lay a garden hose out in the in the in the sun in the summertime and you squirt that hose. It's it's boiling hot. Water comes out of that, right? So I'm telling the guys in the pit, man, I'm burning up. It's hot. It's hot. I, I don't know if I can make the distance and I'm crying and just, and then, uh, so they, so we got you taken care of. We come into pits. We're going to throw some ice water on you. And one of the boys, I think I forget his name, Danny or somebody said, Hey, we're going to hit you with a water hose. Just make sure you don't get your goggles and stuff wet. So I had my, uh, I think back then I even had bubble goggles. I had my face shield headed up, right? They come in with this hose and they just squirt me like, just like you're washing a car, squirt me. They didn't. They forgot hot. the hose had been laying in the hot sun. They hit me with water, probably two hundred degrees. That was that was insult to injury. <laughs> well, and there's nobody tougher in the history of NASCAR. We've seen you in 1984 race with your damn eyeballs taped open, like Rowdy Burns says in the movie. That was real life stuff. You flipped in the qualifier race, taped your eyeballs open. That wasn't for show either. You actually had to do that so your eyelids could even open it up so you could see where you're going. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it's, you know, you just think of something drastic and duct tape's got many uses. And, uh, you know, you know, the biggest thing, it was this, uh, man, I had worked my whole career to get to a point to be able to go drive for Bud Moore Racing. I mean, he, at that time in the mid-80s, he was, the, you know, he was, a, you know, a great operation, won a lot of cup races and sort of busted it hard to get to that level, you know, from, from the old days where you do it with your family and, and work your way up through the ranks. So I think part of it was just determination not to have, you know, you had gotten that far and it was just going to be impossible to hand the steering wheel over to somebody else at that point. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Bud Moore because you had a career that spanned from the early 80s to all the way into the mid 2000s. And 
Oz was one you, you drove for Bud Moore, Richard Childress, Rick Hendrick, yourself, Robert Yates, all these all these pioneers in the sport you've driven for. How, how did the sport transition from the early 80s to when you decided to uh, not necessarily hang it up, but that was that was the end of your driving career? Uh, well, actually, yeah, it goes back, Corey, a little bit farther, way, way before you were born. It goes back to the mid-70s. My first cup race was in 1975. I was 18 years old, didn't know what in the heck I was doing. I was racing motocross the weekend before. I was a dirt bike racer. And somebody said, hey, you want to go to Daytona and drive a stock car? And I said, well, yeah, why not? You know, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know that you don't do that. I just thought, <laughs> okay, sure. And uh, and that's kind of how it started. And so I think it was 77 we won Rookie of the Year. But there was a lot of lean years in there in the mid-70s. But, you know, see the technology change just in that amount of time. It was pretty amazing. Um, you know, our first cars, basically, my dad had a salvage yard, junkyard, and our first cars that we built. Uh, back then, you would take a car out of the junkyard and you take the torch to it, trim it out, trim the body out, and you would send it to Banjo Matthews, and Banjo would build a chassis, set the body on it. And that's what people won races with back in the mid-70s, late 70s. And uh, it just went from that point. It just steadily – it was such a steadily, steady progression to the engineering where it is uh, you know, today. You know, actually, before I came along, the factories were involved, and they brought a lot of engineering at that time. But when they pulled out, their engineering left with them. Uh, so, so really it's been a constant struggle to try to stay on that leading edge of the engineer. And if you stay on the leading edge and you don't get too far out left field, well, it pays dividends. And that's everybody today is sort of doing, doing that now. They just, the cost and the amount of people it takes to do it is just, you know, it's just changed drastically. Something I've always been just one of the reasons why you were my idol. Anytime anybody asks who my favorite driver is, it's been Ricky Rudd growing up. So it's because you started, as you mentioned, in the mid in the mid seventies and had a thirty plus year career, and something that got you at, to be as successful as you were as a race car driver was that competitive fire. And something I've always been interested in in guys who uh, retire and they try to figure out how to light that fire, get it in different areas. So how does Ricky Rudd still tickle the competitive edge every now and then? Um, you know, that's a good question. It's, it's it's not easy when you walk away from the driver's seat. I didn't sort of start weaning myself and stepping down on the schedule pretty much. I stepped out and uh, that's been now 12, 13 years ago. And, you know, I think you have to come to the conclusion. It's just nothing and nothing in this world will give you the adrenaline rush, the excitement. Um, and that in, in, in hand with that, the determination to try to succeed in that, that, that adrenaline is, it's, I, I guess I finally figured it out, you know, I'm, I'm mid sixties and it's like, man, I'm, I just found out I'm an adrenaline junkie. It's not only about racing, but I think I did the racing to get the adrenaline fix. But I haven't found anything that really compares with that now. I, I piddle with a go-kart a little bit. Uh, I, I have an airplane. I fly it around a little bit. And, and, and I can get I can go do some mountain flying, land in some of these places. You almost have to be a bush pilot. And that's about the only thing I'm not. And I'm not a very good bush pilot, so I'm learning. But I think that's the, that's the only thing I've found that sort of gives me that, that adrenaline where, you you, you know, you actually your hands can sweat a little bit. And it's got your interest to get your full, uh, full focus. Yeah, that's right. And well, and, and you forgot one because it wasn't probably, it was probably three years ago. I was ripping on the mountain bike through Lake Norman State Park and I came out to the trailhead and I'm huffing and puffing and I'm looking over, there's a couple <laughs> guys riding and I'm like, holy shit, that's, you're Ricky Rudd. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So th don't forget you, you're out there shutting out a mountain bike too. And then I try, <laughs> I tried to keep up with you for about a mile and a half. And next thing I know, it was rooster tails, pun intended. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know about that's being awful kind. Uh, I don't I don't remember me being all that quick, but, uh, you know, that's uh, that's something. Actually, when I quit racing, the first thing I did was started biking at that time, you know, in racing, nobody really, you know, I think all the guys now ride, ride bikes. It's a great exercise. 
but I had never been introduced to mountain biking until after I got out of racing. And uh, I actually thought, you know, hey, I'm going to work out. I might run a mountain bike race or two. And I actually sort of got in halfway good shape, ran my first race, and I figured out that these guys are serious at what they're doing, and I'm not that good on cardio. So I'm just going to I'm going to go ahead and start quit training so hard. I'm just going to go out and enjoy the ride. And uh, that's kind of what I do now. And uh, I, I was one time I was I think I rode at the state park that year. I rode 5,000 miles that one year after racing. I was so had that adrenaline, had that anxiety, and I went out and just burned it off on the trail. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell everybody all the time, mountain biking is the most similar you can get to a, a stimulation is driving a race car with just the hand-eye coordination, that level of danger. If you make one wrong move, you're going to be into a tree and in, in a world of hurt. But I've always wanted to know, and I'm sure that there's a story out there on how you got the nickname Rooster. Well, I'm, I'm still sort of trying to figure that out. Uh, a crew chief, uh, Richard Broom, gave it to me years ago. And and I think the it really it came about where some racetrack somewhere, and he, he, was, he kept pushing me and pushing me, trying to get me get me riled up, get my temper going. He said, you drive better when you got that temper going, you get up on the wheel better. So he said, you're just like a little Bantam rooster. He said, you're not a big guy, but you get you all fired up. I'll get you hot and get fired up. Then, then you really go out there and fight these guys. And uh, so he used to always work, try to get me, try to get my, get me to lose my temper. He thought I drove better. I don't know. And, and you, you mentioned fight. That's when Ricky Rudd went to the top of my book. When you shipped Kevin Harvick at Richmond and he tries to, he got up in there with that yap yap mouth, trying to <laughs> trying to do something, and you were having none of it. Now, granted, it was spread up. We've had a couple weeks ago. We talked about the fighting and the, the crew crews getting in there and breaking it up. Were were you about to go throw some hands at Kevin Harvick or what? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I you know, when you hit that trigger, everybody's got a trigger, and that trigger had been hit. The only thing that kept me in the car that day, it kept me in the car that day was uh, was Pat Trice, and he was standing at the door. You know, right, wouldn't let his big guy himself wouldn't let me get out. Uh, probably probably a good thing. You know, he kept me pinned up in there. But uh, you know, I was uh, it, it could have gotten ugly, and the probably best thing happened is that, that he did keep me pinned up in the car. I don't know what would have happened, but it wouldn't have been it probably wouldn't have been pretty. Been two guys wrestling around on the ground somewhere probably, but. Uh, on live you know, television. Yeah, probably made for good television. Of course, yeah. I, I had more of my fair shares of, of fines uh, that came. I remember getting fines back in the day uh, running North Wilkesboro, and that was before they had email or uh, computer stuff. I'd, <clears throat> I'd get a get an uh, email. I mean, I'd get a, a fax at that time, $10,000 contract detrimental to the sport of auto racing, you know, signed by Bill France. And I had more than a few of those. Uh, and a lot, of them, a lot of them I didn't feel like I rightfully deserved. And a couple of them I probably did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I appreciate the time. But before you go, every guest we have on here, we do a little game of would you rather. So A or B answers. First question, would you rather fight one Kevin Harvick-sized rooster or 100 rooster-sized Kevin Harvicks? Uh I don't know. I, I, I'd fight him just the size he is now. That's kind of one of the biggest regrets I got. Uh, I don't know. He, you know, I, he's a great driver. Let me just leave it at that. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. Um, would you rather come? So if you had to pick one race to come back to, and I'm actually, I'm going to give you two options. If you had, would you rather come back to a Bristol asphalt track, Bristol concrete track, or Bristol dirt track? Which one you pick? You know, I never did any dirt racing other than motorcycles, but I tell you, I did watch that the other day on the dirt, and it, I would rather come back to a uh, Bristol dirt race. It just looked like a lot of fun sliding around. Uh, it looked like a lot of work, too. Uh, watch a, a lot, I looked at a lot of hand movement in, on the in-car cameras, and 
you know, normally you just sort of steer it with the throttle, but guys, they had, I guarantee they had blisters after that race, but yeah, I'd rather come back to a Bristol dirt race, even though I'd probably totally embarrass myself. It looked like a lot of fun. I don't think you'd embarrass yourself. Not any more than I could behind the wheel of a race car. Um, <laughs> last one, one, it's food related. You look like you're in pretty good shape, so you probably drink nor eat neither of these. Would you rather eat nothing but uh, Martinsville hot dogs or drink nothing but racetrack lemonade for a week? Would I rather not have one? Would I have to choose one or the other? If you had to pick one or the other. Oh, man, I'd take a Martinsville hot dog in a minute. And uh, and I miss the barbecues, too. <laughs> How about a South Boston uh, fried bologna sandwich? Never been there, but uh, I'm oh. sure it's probably good. <laughs> oh, I didn't I do any see. short track race, and I, I missed out on all that opportunity, unfortunately. No, you skipped right to the pros, man. That's what I <laughs> love about you. <laughs> yeah, I got slapped pretty quick, too. And I, you, know, you learn from the abuse, and you want to make it better, so you come back. Well, man, you wouldn't suck around as long as you did and have a hell of a career like you did if you weren't if you weren't a damn good race car driver. So I appreciate you jumping on Stacking Pens with us, and uh, it's good to talk to you. I'm sure our fans yeah. will love it too. Yeah, good talking to you, Corey. Tell your dad and everybody back home to say hello. I will. Thanks, Ricky. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, I don't know about you guys, but my, my childhood NASCAR fan meter is pegged right now talking to Ricky Rudd, Mary. How about yours? Uh, the fact that he still wants to whip Kevin Harvick's ass is amazing. <laughs> I mean, Dude, it's, it's he's been sensitive. 18 years. Oh, you can tell he's still pissed off by it. I mean, wouldn't you be? I, I don't know. I think 20 years later, I might soften it up, soften my stance on it a little bit. Nah, yeah. nah. That's, was, what, that what makes, that's what makes old school NASCAR great. That I is mean, true. He was he was hot, but uh, seriously, we've, we've posted a bunch of Ricky Rudd content on YouTube in terms of full races and stuff like that. And, and in 01, you know, he, he just about wrecked leading the race off the nose of Kevin's car and saved it. I mean, you could you were looking straight on and you could see the full 28 on the side of that door. Uh, that dude is a wheel man. No question. And and I love to go back and watch like his early nineties road course, uh, like he'll tow in he's double clutching and he's doing all this stuff like Ricky Rudd in a road course. His foot cam was unbelievable. Something though, I did not expect him to answer was the, would you rather go to an asphalt Bristol concrete or a dirt Bristol? And my man said dirt. It's because it was fun. Maybe not for you, but, you know, for everybody else, 
It was fun. Hang on, hang on, hang. And I actually want to talk about this. Like, pay attention, everybody. Let's not let's not confuse the fact. Now we're a week removed, so we can kind of the dust has settled, if you will. Let's not confuse watching cup cars slide around as with no grip as being better on dirt. Let's call it what it is. Cup cars with limited grip and more power than what they could put to the ground is what creates the excitement, not the variable of just putting a bunch of dirt on a racetrack. While I do not disagree with you, I do love, and this is NASCAR, a lot of what we do to put butts in the seats has been novelty stuff throughout our history. Yeah. And I love that novelty aspect of the cup cars on dirt. I agree that the exciting racing of these cars that are sliding all over the place, that is fun. And can we get a rules package that gets there eventually? Maybe. But I think every once in a while having cup cars do a dirt show, that's going to be good for uh, ticket sales. It's going to be good for uh, everybody involved. Hear me out, Merriman. You know what would be cheaper than dragging a bunch of truckloads of dirt onto the racetrack? Putting a little irrigation system on the on the outside fence of Martinsville. And just like sometime throughout the race, don't even let people know. Just turn it off and start watering the track down. And then we have a set of intermediate wets. We have a set of wet wets. And you can come in and choose whatever tires you want to put on. And then at some point in time, not announced prior, they just shut them off. And then, th- then you just go racing. Why can't we just do that? Uh, I mean, look, we're, we're test Larson and, and Busher were up there testing the, they call them damp tires, not full blown rain tires. No, no. It, Inter- it, they're called intermediates. Intermediates. Uh, yeah. What, intermediate whatever you, moisture well, tires. that's what, that's what, that's what F1 calls them. So that's what we're, and they, they spell it with a Y intermediate tires. That's what we're yeah. calling. We're, we're just going to call them damps, damps, <laughs> sprinkling. It's sprinkling, put them sprinkle tires, put on them there. damps on there. Uh, <laughs> no, look, Harry, I Harry, it, get the sprinkle tires. Get the Larson <laughs> tires. Larson, no, uh, not the damn wet ones, the sprinkle ones. Larson was saying he felt like they could run them this year. Uh, after the the test he did up in Martinsville, and I don't know. They were talking about bringing to Richmond here in like two weeks if we have if have we you have seen rain. the weather for Martinsville. What, is it, I mean, but is look, it wet? Get them sprinkle ones. Get the sprinkle tires. Get them sprinkle tires out. Uh. It's not sprinkle. It's sprinkle. You got to get the A in there. Sprinkle uh, tires. Sprinkle tires. Uh, no, I mean, if all 40 have to deal with it, I don't it's care. It's the same for everybody. Yep. I would love the strategy. I'd love the strategy of starting on them sprinkle tires, and then it starts to dry out a little bit, and you got to figure out when to put them dry tires on there. It would be pretty fantastic, yes. Without comp cautions, without NASCAR holding your hand, like you throw the green, and if somebody ain't backed in the fence, there ain't no yellow. Figure out what tires you want to run. Chuck. I mean, Martinsville's a track that you could do that. I mean, you can, right. You you can't do that at a Daytona or a Talladega. Um, well, you shouldn't. It's irresponsible. But you we, could. We, we saw what happened a couple of years ago at Daytona when that rain shower hit on the back stretch, like going into turn four. The rest of the track was dry. I think it was an Xfinity practice, and they hit the wet there and it, it was not good. So what is it? There's a, there's a clip on YouTube of Dale Earnhardt. It was either Talladega or Daytona. And he was watching Jeff Gordon run a qualifying lap. And he told the cameras before he said he shouldn't be out there running that lap. There's a rain cloud getting ready to come over, I guess one of the turns. And he, he called it before it happened and Gordon wrecked. I don't know. I, I think it was Daytona or Talladega. 
pretty amazing. That made me think of it. He should have had sprinkle tires on that car. When that- all, he, all he needed was some sprinkle tires. It would have been just fine. You know something else that I'm pretty uh, that I'm pretty opinionated on besides sprinkle tires? Jelly bean that? flavors. Is jelly bean flavors, guys, and peeps. So we're going to do a little Easter, little post-Easter candy edition heads or tails. Peeps versus a piping hot can of garbage. I'm taking the piping hot can of garbage over a peep. Yeah, I'll, I'll take flaming trash any day over, over peeps. They're disgusting. I will go peeps, but that's because I had to dumpster dive one time and almost threw up. So I, I ate a poop. I ate a poop once and almost threw up. I ate a poop once and almost threw up. Sorry, Pete, wrong podcast. We're not wrong talking podcast. Poop. That's glass case, guys. Look, man, poop does not come up here. Old habits Bad. die hard. Habits <laughs> <laughs> die hard. No, but peeps, like I, I enjoyed watching the Peep Five Hundred, uh, which is probably one of the four hundred, whatever. The probably one of the best uses for Peeps. Yeah, is to just put them in the microwave and melt them. Make melt them till they're all dead. Yeah, I also love uh, John Oliver. Every year does. Uh, thing on uh, last week tonight where it's the different local news outlets that are talking about peeps and he just for the love of god please stop talking about peeps like it's, <laughs> it's good it's good stuff but i don't know what it is i don't know what it is about those sugar covered bird-shaped marshmallows that make them so disgusting it's something that people just love to hate like gross i don't think they're that terrible now can we talk about something that really matters Yes. Why do they put the butter popcorn flavored jelly beans in the pack to fool you? You're, what you think you're biting into is a pina colada. Next thing you know, it tastes like you're eating a dirty sock. First off, people who eat jelly beans in general. Easy I now. Just, I can't Easy understand. Now. Why do you want to eat a jelly bean? I ate half a bowl of jelly bellies Easter Sunday at my there's, mom's house. There's way better candy out there than a damn jelly bean. A. You don't. It's like playing Russian roulette with candy. It's not enjoyable when you do pull that. Oh, you know, there's a couple bad ones in the batch. The licorice one, licorice that. Like then they then everybody got on this Harry Potter jelly bean mystery flavor crap kick. It's just dumb. Go home. Well, maybe you with the glasses. Yeah, old man (laughs) yells at Cloud over here. You and your kids (laughs) and your jelly beans. Like old people are supposed to like jelly beans, Merriman. Right. Yeah. That's all they had back in the day. And Werther's Originals. Uh, Werther's? I'm even on board of that. <laughs> Good old butterscotch. <laughs> Heads or tails? Jelly beans or Werther's Originals? I'll take Werther's. Jeez. And the noisy wrappers. All right. All right. What about Reese cups or Reese's eggs? Eggs all day. Look at me. Do I look like I care? No, you look like you can you, you, you house whatever shape your Just peanut butter and chocolate. Double boxes. fist and egg and a cup at the same time. I'll tell you, I don't know what it is about the eggs. I feel like the ratio is a little bit too much peanut butter to chocolate. I'm going with the cups. See, do I you think- do you put them in the freezer? A lot of people like them cold. Yeah, I put them in the I put them in the fridge just like I do my Bill Bars, man. An ice refrigerated ice cold Bill Bar taste. See, Very I think good. I think the holiday Reese's. The cups are better, like the Christmas trees, the eggs, like all that stuff. I think there's a good, a better ratio of peanut butter to chocolate in that, um, in the holiday ones. I'm a huge fan of those. Cups my, do have a slight edge, I don't know. but I'm not turning either one down. Now, my sister 
and brother-in-law with their kids found out a new thing to do. Uh, they, they built a fire pit in the backyard. Add a Reese's peanut butter cup to a s'more. Or what you could do with that fire pit is take your entire box of peeps and throw them in the fire pit. And get the enjoyment of watching them burn. Yeah. Just make sure you write numbers on them so you can have Not a race. Peeps. Yeah. <laughs> and, th- and there you have it. Our Easter egg. Our Easter candy heads or tails for you guys. Next up, guy. Hey, stand by. It's good Corey stories coming up right up for you. All right, guys. So the off week is done and we're headed back to the track. Now, we're not just going to any other track. We are headed to Martinsville Speedway, the oldest track on the NASCAR circuit. Martinsville actually predates NASCAR. But why put a track in Henry County, Virginia, you ask? Well, the answer is pretty simple. You just have to look at who built the track. H. Clay Earls, born in August of 1913, Earls was one of four children that grew up on a tobacco farm near Axton, Virginia, which is right outside of Martinsville. He went to school in a one-room schoolhouse and made his first buck around the age of five by selling unwanted tobacco leaves from his father's crops. Around the age of 16, Earls dropped out of high school to go work in a furniture factory making 25 cents an hour. Talk about stacking pennies. I guess working on furniture kind of sparked something in Earls because he soon went into business for himself opening a pool hall, but that only lasted six months. Next, he bought a gas station, which actually turned a profit. So he was able to qualify for a loan to buy the first drive-in restaurant in Martinsville, Virginia, which was also a success. So he sold the restaurant to buy another gas station. I feel like there's a trend here with early pioneers in NASCAR owning service stations and gas stations. I guess that's universal love cars thing, which might have also fueled the inspiration for the construction of Martinsville Speedway. Clay Earls had apparently been spending time going to races in both Virginia and North Carolina in the 1940s. Now, at that time, most stock car races were held at fairgrounds or makeshift locations. The idea of a purpose-built freestanding racetrack was kind of rare. So Earls bought 30 acres of land just south of Martinsville in Ridgeway, Virginia, and broke ground in 1947. Earls carved out a half-mile circuit made of southwest Virginia clay. The grandstands only held 750 people, but on opening day, July 4th, 1947, a crowd of over 6,000 fans showed up in their Sunday best to check out Henry County, Virginia's newest attraction. Earls proclaimed that this would be a dust-free race because of oil and other materials that had been spread on the track. Wonder how that worked out. It turned out to be the dustiest race I've ever seen, recalled Earls. When the race started, it looked like somebody had dropped the atomic bomb on the place. Red Byron won that inaugural event, earning $500 for the win. Red might be a Corey story for another day because that man has an interesting story. He had to use a special stirrup on his left leg and a modified clutch pedal because of injuries he sustained in World War II. There was some profit made from the event, and Earls went about doing a little bit of work on the facility, including seating for up to 5,000. In 1949, Martinsville became the sixth race of the newly formed NASCAR Cup Series and has remained on the schedule ever since. The first NASCAR race in Martinsville was held on September 25th. That's my birthday, 1949. 15 cars entered the race, but only five would finish in front of a crowd of around 10,000. Curtis Turner started on the pole and led 18 laps. 
Bonnie Flack would overtake him and lead for 85. Then around lap 104, a familiar name to the Martinsville faithful roared to the front, Red Byron, driving the number 22 Raymond Parks owned Oldsmobile. Byron would lead for 97 laps and have a nice three lap cushion on the rest of the field when he took the checker flag. Here are the official results of this race. He took home $1,500 in prize money. Other than being paid in 1955, the track configuration has pretty much remained the same since the beginning. Although a lot of things around the track have changed, those two 800-foot straightaways connected by two tight paperclip-like corners have provided some of the best racing that the circuit has to offer. Now, if I was feeling really poetic, this is the point where I would say that each lap ticks away through time, much like a grandfather clock that's handed out to the winner. But hey, not really feeling the flowery prose today. I'm just going to speak from the heart. Martinsville is an awesome racetrack full of history. And something about that place just gets in your blood. From Richard Petty's record setting 15 wins to Richie Evans putting two wheels on the fence to cross the finish line in a modified race to Jeff Gordon punching his ticket to the final round of the playoffs in his final season. We're going to Homestead! I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Martinsville has provided some very memorable moments that are the very essence of what NASCAR is all about. So here's to that day. Hopefully very soon, we can all once again be able to sit on pit wall at Martinsville Speedway and enjoy four, five, or eight of those world-famous hot dogs while soaking in every ounce of magic that this iconic track has to offer. All right, guys, great show with my childhood hero, Ricky Rudd on the show. My favorite part of the whole thing was the lack of thought he put in behind the, the question of would you rather fight one Kevin Harvick size rooster or the other side of the question. There was no, there was no hesitation. He said, I'll fight that some bitch right now. It don't matter. So thank you for Ricky Rudd for joining us on Stacking Pennies. My favorite guest of the year so far. We've had a lot of good ones, but none of them are Ricky Rudd. So hope everybody has a great week leading into Martinsville. It's going to be an awesome weekend. I'm going to eat no less than probably eight hot dogs. Uh, and I'm sure my good friends, Chuck Bush and Jonathan Merriman will eat considerably more than that. So we're going to get our money's worth up there at Martins with the paperclip this weekend. Tune in Saturday night, guys. It's going to be a good one.